Hi everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations and I have got Miriam Sankula with me from Property Mavens. Hi Miriam. Hi Leanne. Great to have you. Thank you. Um, now firstly, you're in Melbourne locked down as we speak, so I'm sorry about that. That's How's okay. It <laughs> Look, it's fine. It is what it is. I think at the end of the day, it's about working with it rather than against it, accepting yeah. it for what it is and that we can't really do anything about it. So make it work for you. Yeah, exactly. That's the way to do it. Property Mavens, you are buyer's agents and buyer and vendor advocates. Is that, have I got that right? Yes. Yeah, so I call, I basically say a property advocate, which incorporates buyer yeah. advocacy and vendor advocacy. And we will talk more about property neighbors in a minute, but your journey into real estate was through financial services. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's right. I was working in financial services. So that was my background. I happened to be working for an accounting practice. They had a business development division. Um, they ended up selling what's known as a managed investment scheme real estate product. And they asked me if I'd be involved in terms of getting it ready for market and then basically selling it. So I was, I'd never done it before. I basically project managed the rollout to sales for them. And then I ultimately ended up selling the majority of the interest in the property for them. Mm, nice. And then decided it was uh, what you wanted to do? Well, ironically, the profession found me and I call it profession because originally I was using my financial planning qualifications to sell this particular product that had that real estate connection. I was ultimately headhunted by Mervac. They sent me to WA to do a similar thing there. But while I was over there, I had the opportunity to apply to work with an agency on the buyer advocacy side. And um, I found that I absolutely really loved that and I was really good at it. So that's where that started. Fantastic. How did Property Maven start? Yeah, so about 10 years ago, I relocated from uh, Western Australia back to Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, the circumstances weren't ideal. You know, it was following a, a separation, you know, divorce from my okay. ex-husband. And then within a short time, I got back. My father died unexpectedly. And then I ended up, I suppose, my world collapsed around me because, you know, when you have three big things happen at once, you know, death, divorce and moving house, really, I just ended up with chronic fatigue and oh, really? unable to work for a long time. And my options were try and find a part-time job in real estate, which we know just doesn't exist because it's not the nature of selling sure. or buying. And so fundamentally, I started my business from scratch and built it from the ground up in uh, 2012 onwards. While suffering from chronic fatigue? Yeah. How do you do I, that? Well, I did what I could. So I basically started my networking. I took on board clients as I was able to work with them. So I might have only worked with one client every couple of months. Yeah. I ended up having clients referred through to me through a financial planner because I take a financial planning approach to property investing. So that's where my niche is. And, and um, I wrote my best-selling book, Property Prosperity, in that time, which gave me a lot of credibility and, and gave a lot of financial advisors comfort in referring their clients to me. So, look, the nature of advocacy is it is a business that you can not work part-timing so much, but it, is a, it can be a home-based business that can have relatively low overheads, but you absolutely do need to know and understand how to be an advocate. You absolutely do need to understand how to market yourself, create a brand, create a reputation um, and sell the service because fundamentally it is still a service and if you can't sell, then you're not going to succeed as a buyer's advocate. 
Yeah, absolutely. We will talk more about that in a second, but I'm just fascinated with the, the concept of, of being at home with chronic fatigue, yet still, I mean, I get that you weren't working full time, but just being able to pull yourself out of that enough to think about all of the things that you have to think about when you're starting a business. How do you, how do you have the inner strength or resources to do that? Look, I guess... Mm, I didn't have, uh, I suppose, the the best experience growing up and I left home at 17. So from a very young age, I was in a position where I had to fend for myself. I didn't have family to fall back on. I didn't have mentors to fall back on. It wasn't so much that I operated out of survival, but it was very much I'm on my own. I need to do whatever I need to do to get ahead and succeed. And for me, security and peace of mind was through buying property and having a roof over my head because when you're 17 and renting and you don't have stability or security and family to fall back on, the thing that actually gave me security was having a home. So I was able to um, work really hard and succeed on the financial services side and, and buy my first little apartment at 24, I think I was. Yeah. And so when the chronic fatigue came about, I'd already made a smart decision. I had income protection. I'd taken that out a long time ago. And fortunately, I had income coming in, which is the, one of the biggest saving graces of, of income protection, yeah. is that if you're unwell and you're trying to recover, if I were to have the stress of watching equity disappear or my savings yeah. deplete because I didn't have that insurance, it would have been harder. But I had the buffer of enough money coming in to pay my bills. That gave me the time to heal and recover. And within the year and a half um, that I was in that situation, I just did what I needed to do over that time to slowly chip away to get to a point where I had some traction. And probably by about two years between the work that I was doing on myself to recover from chronic fatigue as well as the momentum and what I was doing to build my business, it it progressed from there and, and here I am eight years later. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and so what sort of work did you have to do on yourself too? I assume there's you know, a lot of health-related yeah. diet and all yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah? Look, one of them was actually managing anxiety. Probably mm-hmm. the biggest thing that can affect us physically and emotionally and mentally is anxiety. Yeah. And, you know, coming from a, a situation of divorce and then shortly after the death of my father and then relocating and kind of coming back to Melbourne and being a bit homeless... There was a lot of anxiety there. Would be. Yeah, but I found this fantastic lady called Christine Hart Savage. She teaches a breathing technique. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, and, and breath work and really intensive breath work helps yep. your paranormal, parasympathetic nervous system yep. release anxiety and stress in the body. So it was through working with her and, and doing regular sessions around that that I was able to shift a lot of that anxiety physically and emotionally and mentally and that was the beginning of it and then it was just slowly rebuilding health from there and look I'm a strong advocate in looking at alternative therapies um, naturopathy and and Mm -hmm. kinesiology and a variety of other things beyond working just with a GP Um, and all of that made a massive difference as well. Yeah, I actually did a breathwork uh, session with Kirsty Sprague, and I don't know if you know Kirsty, but she was in Sydney from the US, and she did a session with myself and some girlfriends, and oh. it was yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah. It's not something I've experienced before, but you know, it makes sense, right? That your your breath um, and yeah. controlling your breath and the way that you breathe yeah. has a massive impact on the way that you feel. So. Absolutely. And the thing is, when we're stressed or when we're anxious, we forget to breathe. We hold our breath, you know. And the whole thing around meditation is really meditation is about slowing down your mind, but it's actually connecting with your breath because your breath is what you focus on to slow down your mind, but it's also what heals 
uh, your body and, and what releases density and anxiety and illness and disease out of your body as well. So it's really powerful. And look, to this day, you know, um, 10 years later, I still do breath work. I still do regular sessions and, and it still has an amazing impact in terms of helping me in my, you know, day-to-day state. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. And so Property Mavens, you have actually franchised that now, I believe, right? I have, yes. I'm the first person in Australia to franchise the property advocacy business model. Originally, I did that targeting female real estate agents because I got sick of not seeing enough women running their own businesses in the industry. I got a little bit tired of the boys club. I got sick of seeing women being underpaid for the work they were doing, particularly as sales assistants or sales PAs, where they were literally doing everything 12 hours a week, you know, 12 days, 12 hours a day, six days a week, while their, you know, director or their agent literally sat back, got a few listings and didn't really do much. So, you know, the the independent (laughs) feminist in me was all about giving women the opportunity to affordably buy into a business and have it be a home-based business where they can actually make it work for them in relation to their kids or family or whatever. And I know my personal experience with my chronic fatigue, if I had had that ready-to-go business-in-a-box model to jump into where the branding was done, the systems, the processes, the training, the mentoring was all there, then rather than build from scratch and spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands over the years refining and improving and upgrading, Mm. I could have hit the ground running and Mm. started, you know, making money straight away. Um, So I I kind of really, I know for a fact that it can be done from home. It can be lower entry, particularly my model is more affordable and trying to do it yourself and start from scratch. But you do need training, you know. It's what people don't understand with buyer advocacy is selling a house has got no similarity whatsoever to buying someone a home. Yeah. So when I work with selling agents, they need to understand that they have to unlearn to be a selling agent to then learn to be an advocate. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, they're not doing their job properly. Um, and then on top of that, you know, again, it's selling the service. You know, you're trying to convince someone why they should work with you instead of doing it themselves because, of course, it's easy to buy a property yourself, yeah. um, whereas most people know they need a selling agent and most people will engage a selling agent. It's just a matter of who. You know, it's totally different with buyer advocacy. You really have to educate them to understand why they need your help and then why you in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And so you provide the training and mentoring for your franchisees? Absolutely. Systems, processes, marketing, mentoring. And look, my model is quite generous. Um, Agents keep 84% of all the revenue they generate, Um, but it's a design so that they get that training and that mentoring and that support so they can go out there, hit the ground running. They own a business. It's an asset in its own right. And I've created opportunities where they're earning extra um, referral income as well. And, yeah, off they go under an established brand and, you know, I want them to thrive. My, my model's all about community and having them thrive under my brand, which is established. I have a profile. I'm industry recognised. Um, but, again, they want to be able to get out there and, and get deals happening as quickly as possible and, and that's what I've ideally created. Yeah, fantastic. Well done. I know it's, uh, it's not easy to create a business, but then to create everything around franchising that business. I, I have some understanding of what that is involved in that. So well done. That's great. It's, it's huge. It's one of those yeah. things where, you know, if I hadn't known the challenges that I would have come up against while doing it, then of course you wouldn't have done it. But hey, that's the journey of life. My, my position is make a decision, give it your best, do whatever you need to do to make it work and get your outcome. And you're going to make mistakes and, and have experiences and learn along the way. I don't consider them failures. I just consider them a learning curve and an ability yeah. to refine what I'm doing and 
take it to the next level where it works. Yeah, absolutely. Before we started recording, we were talking about some times when you've had to negotiate for your worth because you were in situations where you were being paid less than other people, typically blokes, um, doing the same job. How do you suggest people actually approach those sorts of negotiations? Yeah, look, I think it's, you know, I remember when I was quite young, I was very shy. I didn't really develop any confidence until I got my first part-time job at school. And then over the years, I've developed more confidence as I I continued. Um, I think it's really a case of having the courage to value yourself and take a stand for yourself and ask the question. You know, when I first got into real estate, I was working um, with an accounting practice doing business development for them and then I end up with a property development division and because mm-hmm. of my financial planning background, they asked me to sell this real estate and very quickly in one of the early meetings, they brought in a couple of traditional real estate agents to help because they thought that, you know, they'd be able to sell it. And I was almost a bit of a backup, but I learned very quickly in that first meeting that I was the one generating the results because it wasn't a real, a traditional real estate product. Yeah. It had to be sold in a certain way. It took several hours with every buyer and you had to give them that time to explain the complexity. And by not doing that, you weren't going to get the sales. But I think I mentioned at the time, you know, I was getting paid a salary, but I was going to get $500 every deal that I got over the line. And because I hadn't worked <laughs> in real estate and I yeah. didn't, understand the commission structure I took that as a given but as soon as I realized that I was absolutely thrashing it after that first meeting with the two other agents I said to the director what are they earning and he basically said they're earning between three and six thousand dollars a deal and I went right you put me on that deal and I'll continue working with you and he did you know I'd had a history of working with him in South Africa and New Zealand and Australia um, he knew I was a good operator. I'd made him a lot of money in the past and I, I had the capacity and the results to negotiate the terms that I wanted. And the guts. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, if I wasn't going to fight for me, who was? Who you know, was, we can't. Yeah. We're, we're, and I, that was a male-dominated industry. So financial services was male-dominated. Then mm. I worked for Nervac in the construction and development side. That's male-dominated. Then, you know, traditional real estate is male-dominated. Yeah. And unfortunately, in most cases I've found when I've worked with men, when they're dealing with women, they usually will try and take advantage of women in some way, usually financially, where they'll automatically start off giving us a lower amount of money than what they may offer a mate or a bloke because they've got a family to support. Mm. Um, And I'll never forget this same organisation when I managed to up my salary. I then had a bit of a change of job and I was talking to a colleague at the time and he was only a couple of years older than me And I was saying that I wasn't happy with the package they were offering me. And he said, well, you've got a boyfriend now. What's your problem? And I was so, I know, I was so speechless at the time because in his mind he was supporting his wife with two children and he just had this dated belief system in his head that just because I had a boyfriend, he assumed it meant that I didn't have to worry about my financial circumstances that this new boyfriend would magically look after me and that would justify me accepting a really bad deal financially because I had a boyfriend. It was like the most... And I expected it from the 50 or the 60-year-old or the 70-year-old that I was working with, but I wasn't expecting it from the 35-year-old. No. It bowled me away. Well, I still have people comment about my shoes and how my husband must be very... um, patient and and appreciative of paying my credit card bills it's like my husband's never even seen one of my credit card bills let alone paid one of them 
Yeah. Uh, it's like, and I've been married nearly 30 years. It's just yeah. the way, uh, yeah. I, don't I know. know. Yeah. yeah. I wish he did, but, you know, it's not the way. <laughs> yeah, it's funny the assumptions people make. But, yeah. but look, if I can finish, yeah. I think women need, we're not brought up or taught how to be assertive. We're not brought up to stand up for ourselves. Um, and I think that the journey of life is that you do eventually have to learn to do that. And you do have to be confident in yourself and stand your ground and put your case forward and, and stand up for yourself and be prepared to walk away and look at other opportunities rather than being taken advantage of. Um, and, look, I think far too often women have got the rungs on the board but they're overlooked or they're overpassed or they're ignored or whatever. If you've got the runs on the board and you're in an agency where you're killing it and the others aren't... Well, it's about how you find that in yourself, though, to actually go, um, hold on a minute, this is not okay. And well, so it's a choice. Yeah. You know, you can choose to be a victim of it yeah. or you can choose to empower yourself and do something about it. But if you know that there's a disparity there, mm -hmm. your choice to accept it or your choice to do something about it is totally up to you. Yeah. And then whichever way you go, you will deal with the consequences of that. But, you know, I, would, my, I learnt the hard way that I would much rather stand up for myself and negotiate a better deal because men expect you to ask for it. Men don't automatically give you pay rises. In my experience in business, you have to do what the guys do. You've got to knock on their door. You've got to say, this is what I'm doing. This is where I want more money. These are the reasons why. You tell yeah. me why you can't give it to me. And that was a lesson I learned at 24 from a director that if you want in the accounting practice, if you want more money, you justify it to me. Justify so, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always say that to, to people that ask me for pay rises, but I was a really slow learner. Even when I was in leadership roles, I, I always thought that people would recognise what I'm doing and give me more money. Um, no. And it was um, eventually I just went, you know what? Yeah. This is what I believe I'm worth. What do you, yeah. you know? What do you believe? Yeah. Um, so you do. Yeah. You got to do your research. You got to know yeah. your position. You can't just say, "Well, I want more" or "I need more." No, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. But I think as women, we don't voice our value. Yeah. And and you have to if you want to compete on the stage and, and compete with guys or be paid equally. And even though there's legislation in place that means we should be, we know in reality it doesn't work that way. Happen. Yeah. And, you know, I know some fantastic female operators and I'm sure they're getting paid less than what the guys are who are underperforming by comparison. People say to me all the time, oh, Leanne, pay gap doesn't happen in real estate because particularly salespeople, they all get paid what they earn. They're all on a commission. But the reality is, and we know the reality is, that some people are able to negotiate better splits and better deals than others. It's just the reality of it, right? It's interesting. When I came back from WA, I worked for a local agent, very high profile, someone I'd known for a long time. They got me in there to help them sell a particular project. I negotiated a base salary. And when I negotiated my commission, I found out that the guys were getting 40% per deal, but I was only going to get 30% per deal because I was new to the area and I wasn't experienced. And the reality is that was bullshit because, sorry, <laughs> that okay. was bullshit because I've been 12 years in real estate. I was a licensed real estate agent. I was a licensee of the agency. So it was just a, a BS excuse to justify paying me less. But what I did do by contrast when it came to the commission selling me off the plan property, and this was very short-lived, but I did negotiate to get 60% of the commission I was titled to upfront when they got their payment. Yeah. which meant that what I sold, I actually got more than them. And when they lost the whole project, I still walked away with money 
um, whereas the others didn't get as much of a cut up front. So, yeah, you know, again, you know, if you're going to screw me over here, well, I'm grabbing it there, you know. So yeah. I, I've just been in a situation so many times where I've been taken advantage of, I've shot myself in the foot, I've realised that I've said yes too soon. And through those hard lessons and it costing me a lot of money, I've learnt to wisen up because, again, no one's got your back unless you have your own back. Mm. And we are responsible for what we will and won't accept in our lives. And, and fundamentally, regardless of gender, it's up, it's up to us to value ourselves and, and assert ourselves politely and nicely to, you know, however it is to, and justifiably to get what you're entitled to. Yeah. And you can be nice and be assertive. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can do it with a smile on my face very easily. That's really, really good advice. And also I think... When you are negotiating, don't be afraid of the silence. Mm. Don't feel the need to jump in if, if, you know, you're delivering your expectations and there's nothing coming back on from the yeah. other side. Don't be too quick to, to jump yeah. in and go, oh, it'll be all right kind of thing. You've got to be yeah. prepared, right, to listen yeah. to that. Yeah, let it land. Yeah. Sit there, yeah. breathe, breathe quietly yeah. internally through the discomfort yeah. <laughs> of it exactly. and let them speak and, and let them give you feedback, absolutely. But but yeah. I think, you know, you have to find your own power within to do that. And look, even now I'll talk to young females in the industry where they're saying they're being headhunted and all the rest of it. And I'm saying, well, look, once they tell you the deal, come and talk to me and I'll let you know if you're being ripped off or not and I'll help you go and negotiate a better deal. Because nine out of ten times, unfortunately, they are. They're being... They're being wooed. They're being promised the world. They're probably being taken of uh, taken a bit of a ride financially, yeah. and then they get there to find out they don't necessarily have the support. What was promised, promised isn't delivered. But at least if they can get some results and get more money for it, yeah. that might offset it a little bit. So it's yeah, really drives me mad in our industry that people are just promise the world and then don't deliver. Business owners, and then they wonder why they can't keep salespeople. But that's why I created my franchise model because this yep. whole concept of a principal who is usually an excelling person who decides to run their own business, yep. then they keep the bulk of the money. And, of course, they're a cost-running business, so that's not unreasonable. But then they compete with you for the best deal, so they're cannibalising their own business. Yeah. It's like, why would you do that to your team? You're either managing a team and helping them succeed and thrive or you're a selling agent competing with them. You can't do both and you can't do both and expect to have a successful business. I know, and it's a concept that a lot of agents struggle with for lots of reasons. We could talk about that all afternoon. There's no doubt about that. Before we go, have you got any tips for women that are needing to have those courageous conversations either with themselves or with other people? Because it sounds like you've had a lot of them during your career. Yeah, I think find mentors and people that, you know, can help you and give you guidance on how to go about it. Yeah. You know, even just do your own research on, you know, tips to be assertive or courses on how to be assertive. One of the things that I encourage you to do is actually role-play difficult conversations with someone. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of the time sometimes people have, women in particular have difficulty with the word no. It's, they've been brought up, whether it's cultural or personal, they've been brought up to be a good girl, to never say no, to do as you're told. You know, there are all these layers of crap that we've grown up with and it's actually about undoing that. And I found the best way to undo a lot of it was to role play with someone I trusted yep. and they would ask me questions where continually I had to say the word no and no and no until it started no longer being uncomfortable. 
Because the nature of real estate, as you know, whether you're working with a buyer or a vendor, you have to have tough conversations. You have to have uncomfortable conversations at times and you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And so if you're going to assert yourself for a pay rise, it may well be uncomfortable. So do some role-playing with someone you trust beforehand and reach out to a mentor or someone who can, you know, give you some guidance on how to go about doing it or approaching it. Yeah, that's great advice. So if people want to know more about Property Mavens, where can they go? Propertymavens.com.au. Um, there's under the About Us section, if anyone's interested in the franchise opportunity, you can click on About Us and there's a link there. And, yeah, you know, we're, we're in the process of um, looking for a master franchisee in New South Wales and Brisbane. So if anyone's looking for a career change and they've got uh, BDM experience in the franchise sector, yep. you know, please reach out and get in touch. You can find me on LinkedIn, Miriam Sandkuller, um, S-A-N-D-K-U-H-L-E-R, a bit of a mouthful, but, you know, uh, yeah, feel free to get in touch. Love to have a chat with you. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Leanne. I really appreciate you having me on. See you soon. Bye.